The Law of Equivalent Exchange. This is Tim in Tokyo with Patrick in Kumamoto. Uh, how's everything going? It's going. We had the rainy season. Uh, is it over already? Well, the the scary bits. You know, like the, the river went, rose up twice. And the first day mm. of rainy season, which was like uh, a few days earlier than predicted, mm-hmm. uh, it the river went up quite high. So... As I was taking my daughter to school, I was like, I'd never seen the river so close to the bridge. Mm. Uh, but on the way back, it was already going back to normal. The rain had slowed. So, yeah, I was, but it was kind of, you know, freaky because I live, there's only like a, a park between me and the river. So, mm. you know. Okay. I'm not sure if it's started here yet or not. It, it's been kind of rainy since the, like the middle of May, which is sort of unusual, but Yeah, and and we like my wife's family already started their planting of the rice harvest. Mm-hmm. And uh I'm always conscripted <laughs> to help. <laughs> and this year my back was not having it. Mm-hmm. My back was like, you can help, but I'm not. I'm going to I'm going to sit over here and watch you. Uh, man, it was it was rough. Mm, yeah. But I feel, you know, every time I help, I feel when I get my foot in that mud, in the red mud, as the B-52s say, uh, <laughs> I feel connected, you know, uh-huh. uh, connected to the land. And then that's actually like the rice that we eat for the rest of the year mm. uh, I'm helping make. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are on chapter 16 now, uh, called Separate Paths in the Viz edition. Um, And I was struck again, maybe even more than last chapter, at how many different moods are in one chapter. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the chapters are quite long to begin with because it's a monthly comic. Mm -hmm. So I guess instead of like a a 20-minute sitcom... It's more like a, a full 44-minute plus commercials, you know, drama mm-hmm. where you've got different storylines going through. And so, you know, I guess she's able to shift the tone a couple yeah. times. You'll laugh. You'll cry. You'll kiss 10 bucks goodbye. Oh, no, wait. That's, <laughs> that's something else. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, we start off, uh, the brothers and Winry are on the train, uh, going to see Ed and Elle's teacher. Ed is talking about needing to get way better at fighting. Um, and so he's hoping to work on that and also wants to ask their teacher about transmuting human beings. So the whole time we trained together, our teacher never taught us anything about the Philosopher's Stone or human transmutation. And the closer we get to the Philosopher's Stone, the more dangerous it gets. So, well, yeah, they need well, more information. One thing that's interesting is that the the kanji used for teacher is shisho, like, you know, like master. Okay, not know? sensei. But but the the furigana, the, the, like the pronunciation guide, mm. is sensei. Okay, but not the usual characters. That's right. So it's that's one of the interesting things. One of the things I love about uh, the Japanese language is that it operates on several different 
like modes or levels at at once. You know, mm-hmm. you can have uh, numbers can also stand for words. Uh, you know, like uh, four, like what four nine shikyu means, like in, urgent, mm-hmm. and you know, like we would use like four one one, I think, or something like that for our for number code. But uh, in Japanese, like all the the numbers are very easily changed into words because mm-hmm. of the limited uh, syllabary. Yeah, limited number of sounds. Yeah. Um, and Winry pulls out an apple pie, uh, which was given to her by Mr. Hughes's wife so that they could eat it on the train. Of course, uh, Al can't eat in his condition, uh, being a suit of armor. But uh, Winry says she's got the recipe from Mrs. Hughes, so she'll make it when Al has his his real body back. Well, one one thing I think we neglected to mention is like the very first, uh, the opening of the chapter, we have Hughes and Mustang standing together. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously when they were younger because Hughes doesn't have a beard. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's telling us that they've been friends for a long time. Yes, uh, it's clearly a photograph. You can see that it's a photograph that's been stuck to a wall with one of Hughes's daggers. Yeah. So, I don't know, it just uh, kind of reminding us that he's gone and that hmm. uh, Mustang lost a close friend, I think, is what it's reminding yeah. us. Yeah. So, but, so, I, you know, I read this before, a decade ago, and I had the exact same reaction that I did last time, which was, at the end of the previous chapter, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if he was dead or not, and I was thinking, he survives, doesn't he? <laughs> but I mean, I should have known the way Arakawa operates. That though, you know, she was making us really like the Hughes's so that she could give us another gut punch, just like she did with with uh, what was her name, Alexander, and uh, I know the the, the dog, the dog, uh, and Kimura, the Kimura dog. Yeah, man, that was a that was a killer. Yeah. So, uh, and you know, of course. Ed and Al and Winry don't know that Hughes is dead. And they're talking about, you know, um, next time, uh, Al saying how uh, Hughes kept visiting him in the hospital, even if he was busy. And he's saying, I got to do something nice for him next time we go to Central. And you turn the page and it's Hughes's funeral. Um, a military funeral, of course. And uh, his wife and Alicia are there. And... Alicia is saying, no, you can't bury Papa because he has to go to work. And it's just, you know, just a so gut sad. punch. So sad. So sad. Poor Alicia. Mm-hmm. Why, why are you burying Daddy? Why are you burying him? He has to go to work. Yeah. Don't do that. Daddy! Yes. Yeah, it's hard not to cry no matter how many times you read this. On the next page, when you see... Mustang and comparing him back to the photo. I mean, he's he looks basically the same, but he's got a lot more medals on him. Mm, yeah, but he looks pretty similar. You know, he always has that kind of grim look, but this time 
Yeah, although in the photo on the title page, there's there's something a little different about his jawline that makes him look a little younger there. Uh, Where he yeah. looks a little bit more filled out in, in the present. It's true, it's true. His jaw does have a little bit more square set to it. But, I mean, you think about it, that's, that's a really perceptive way to differentiate the the drawing of him in the past and him in the present um that doesn't seem to me to be easy to do <laughs> to draw the same characters looking to be slightly different ages yeah especially when he's already kind of young looking to begin with yeah yeah here he's you know he's considering what shall not be considered you know uh he said he finally understands uh, those brothers want to try to bring somebody right. back from the dead. What despicable creatures we alchemists are, Lieutenant, talking to Hawkeye. Right now there's a part of me that's trying to figure out the details of transmuting human beings. Now I think I can understand why those two kids wanted to bring their mother back. And then he tries to excuse his tears by saying it's raining, even though it isn't. And Hawkeye doesn't get it at first, but he insists, yes, it is. This is rain. And she says, yes, sir. Um, and uh, we didn't mention a few pages back that uh, Hughes was promoted two ranks higher posthumously. Uh, he's now Major General Hughes. I was wondering, like, what significance that might have, you know, like... Uh like his being promoted, but uh, I would guess that that means better benefits for the wife and mm. for the family. Yeah, I would, I would think so. So I think there's something interesting at work there. Okay, so we, we had kind of cheerful mood on the train, very sad mood here in the funeral scene, and now we move on to trying to piece together what happened the night Hughes died uh, and pondering like what was it that he found out mm. they, they they see it looks like he had a fight there uh, in the records room there's papers all over and uh, the young woman uh, that he talked to you know, when he was bleeding and uh, almost used the phone in the office and then didn't um, you know, she's recounting all of that and Mustang goes out to the public phone, which is kind of roped off. And, and he says, you know, he could have called me from the court martial office, but then he went out of his way to try to call me from an outside line. He must've had some reason for not trusting the office phone. So, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit clarified here, but you know, we don't really, we have still no idea what he figured out. That's right. Though, you know, he says he does have an idea of who might be the ones who, who killed him. Hmm. Well, so Mustang is remembering that the operator who uh, Hughes was talking to when Lust killed him, Hughes said to her on the phone, the military's in grave danger. So that's a bit of a clue. And so it seems like he was trying to, maybe he was afraid that uh, the, the office phone was tapped. Um, he didn't want anyone to hear him uh, 
anyone in the military to hear him uh, giving Mustang this information. And Armstrong shows up, but Armstrong is curiously not uh, very responsive. Uh, Armstrong saying, we have a good idea of the identities of the individuals that murdered the lieutenant colonel. Then why don't you hurry up and arrest them? I'm sorry, sir. I said we have an idea, but we don't know who or where they are. And Mustang is puzzled. What do you mean by that? Explain yourself. I cannot. Are you disobeying the orders of a superior officer? A colonel is ordering you to speak. I cannot. So then, uh, as Mustang says after he's gone, uh, that he must have been, Armstrong must have been ordered by a higher ranking person uh, to not pass on any of that information. But before Armstrong leaves, he mentions the Elric brothers were staying here until just a few days ago just emphasizes that point, the Elric brothers. So it's a bit of a code, and Mustang is kind of breaking it down after after Armstrong leaves. Yeah, so Armstrong was able to kind of relay some information without breaking whatever orders or... Yeah, so he's communicated to them that there was more than one murderer someone higher up has ordered him to stay silent about it. So it must be military command and the Elric brothers, he mentions, of course they're looking for the philosopher's stone. So those are kind of the pieces, but Hawkeye and Mustang don't know how they fit together, but Mustang's determined to find out. And, uh, he asks Hawkeye if she'll help him. And she says, you know, there's no need to ask. Hmm. So we got a kind of mystery here to solve. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, what? Uh, so on page one fifty-eight, uh, what's Mustang saying here in the third panel? Um, I'm going after military command. Will you help me? Okay. All right. I see. It. Yeah. It sounds like uh, he's using Kuraitsku. So it's like, uh, um, I guess like. He's going to be doggedly determined. Like, mm. kurao is kind of like bite or eat. It's like a, yeah, it's an idiom for like being dogged. Uh, so he's going to doggedly pursue. I okay. See. Not, not a dog of the military, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but doggedly pursuing. Yes. And then the scene changes again. Yeah. And now we're in completely different bit here so it's a desert and there's a kind of fl a flag i suppose that may be some kind of a grave just some rocks piled up with a stick sticking out and a little piece of cloth tied to it like a little flag and we see some animal bones and feet in sandals and yeah this is clearly a younger scar and he's wearing kind of robes, kind of suggests you know, the Muslim world. Of course, this is a completely different planet uh, that we're talking about here. But uh, the Ish Ishbalans seem to be sort of analogous to uh, Arabs. Now that you mentioned it, like I didn't even, it didn't occur to me at first that, that we're talking about a younger scar. But yeah, he doesn't have the scar. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he doesn't have the scar on his forehead, and he just kind of, again, looks younger somehow with his, his jawline or something. But yeah, he de- definitely doesn't have the scar. And now I'm judging by what happens later. I'm trying to put together, is this a dream or is this a flashback? This is, I think this is a memory. So, you know, so it's uh, a dream. He's remembering something in his dream. Yeah, because he says, where am I? This smell, is this Ishbal? As if he's just kind of materialized there. And then he's saying, where is it? Where am my family gone? And uh, someone appears who has the, uh, what should we say, sigils on his hands. I think this is Kimberly, isn't it? The the guy who kind of gets a little bit too much of a kick. Yeah, we, of... we saw him in prison a few chapters back. That's right. And his name then was mentioned, Kimberly. Now here, and I guess in both of these, both of those scenes, his face is not clearly shown. We see just sort of his nose and his mouth here, but not the top part of his head. And his douchey ponytail. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he introduces himself to Scar as the state alchemist responsible for the genocide in this region. And... Scar is looking at him wide-eyed, and then we have another scene change, and we see what happened in his fight with Gluttony uh, some chapters back. I was going to remember which chapter it was, but I didn't take any notes at all for this episode. That's okay, but I mean, I just remember that that we mentioned a couple times, like, we have no idea what happened, but we can kind of assume that uh, both parties got away somehow. Uh, and then now we have a little better idea. Yeah, and he he rips Gluttony's arm off. Well, he makes it explode, right? Well, the, the I don't know. The sound effect in English is rip. But yeah, it does. he is using his alchemy there. You can see the kind of lightning from his hand. Yeah, to me, this sound effect is more of a like a breaking sound. Uh, like the breaking of hard bones hmm. uh, more than a rip. What, what is the Japanese sound effect? Boging. Oh, boging. Boging. Yeah, so like bogey or bogey, this is, these are like bone breaking mm-hmm. type sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So it looks like he explodes, explodes like the elbow. <laughs> yeah. He explodes the elbow, you know, mm. with his, with his alchemy. Now we that's kind of what he does. We haven't seen Gluttony a lot since that scene, but I didn't see that he had an arm missing. Can he grow arms back, I wonder? Or was it just like out of the shot so we couldn't notice that his arm was gone? Uh, I didn't go back and look. I just assumed that these guys are pretty indestructible. So mm. I didn't I didn't think twice about it, uh, whether or not he still has an arm or not um but i guess we'll be able to know going forward when when he comes back yeah uh in this fight after after gluttony loses an arm then uh lust breaks through the wall and is apparently can't quite see but it seems like her she's using her stabby fingers uh on scar and then he uh, puts his hand on the wall and blows it up and that was the apparently the big explosion that we saw 
Right, and we can assume that he somehow got out through, you know, with the explosion as a distraction mm-hmm. that he escaped. So now we're in the present and he's waking up and he's bandaged up on essentially a futon, a, a mat on the floor with blankets over him. Uh, and a young boy comes in, uh, tells him that, that he and apparently his grandfather uh, found Scar when he was floating unconscious down the sewer. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they, they saved him and brought him back to where they are uh, on the, uh, in the slums at the edge of East City. Yep. You know, they make it clear that, you know, like you're wondering how people as poor as us can afford to help out a stranger. Mm-hmm. But, you know what they say, people on the river are happy to give. Or that's Proud Mary. <laughs> now he says, if you were anyone else, we would have taken everything you had on you and then thrown you back in the sewer. But you're an Ishbalan, <laughs> right? My mom's an Ishbalan, too. Um, and then the boy... Uh, calls his uh, grandpa in um, and the grandpa recognizes Scar as being the one wanted by the authorities, but uh, the Ishbalans should stick together. So, you know, they're not going to report him. Yeah. It it seems like, you know, like he's the only Ishbalan that we've met so far and he's, you know, he's kind of a, a harsher buzz kind of guy, you know, (laughs) not a, not a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, but no. these people are all very friendly. They're very welcoming uh, to one of their own uh, and happy to have him join them. And it's the first time we see him smile, isn't it? Um, smile? <laughs> well, he's, he's got a little... He's got a little... I don't know. I mean, his teeth aren't showing, but that's not a grimace. Uh, okay. Yeah, on 170. On 170, yeah. So, yeah, the, the, where they are, this slum, it's a whole kind of colony of Ishbalans, and they say there are other Ishbalans in other small colonies in, in every region where our people continue to survive quietly but happily. Um, so, because I guess Scar wasn't sure that any Ishbalans survived the genocide. Right, but it looks like there's been some kind of diaspora and everybody's spread. Mm-hmm to uh, different ghetto areas in different cities and such. Hmm. And then uh, Scar, so he's got a bandage over his eyes, um, and he asks if his right arm is still there. Um, And uh, the boy said, uh, yeah, it's hurt really bad, but you still have both of your arms and legs. But your right arm's really amazing, and it has all these kind of tattoos on it. Yeah, is that a tattoo? Yes, it's something precious that my family gave me. I kind of remember the story of what's going on with his arm, but uh, we'll get to it, that later. It leads to it leads to land, right? In the world of water. No, that's water world. Sorry. <laughs> well, if you look at it closely, it does say Terra on it. So see, and see? there's an arrow pointing to Terra. <laughs> So something to do with land. 
But, I mean, that's something explained much later. Yeah, the way he says it, that he got it from his family, this this is something that uh, is a, will become an interesting point. Yes. <laughs> that I do remember. I do remember that much. Mm-hmm. Yes, so do I. So, so uh, that's that's the end of this chapter. Right, but and we're at the end of a volume, so we've got uh, back matter, um, including a whole side story called "Dog of the Military?" Question <laughs> mark. Um, well, well, before before we move on to that, I mean, I just want to say that, that uh, you know, the story has moved forward uh, a little bit, a little bit. It's mostly taking stock of what happened after uh, the last episode. So it's yeah, it's kind of a regrouping. Yeah, she does this a lot. She'll she, it'll be big action, and then let's take you know, take account of what we just dealt with. Yeah, kind then, of digested. Yeah. So, which is good. It's, you know, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of Demon Slayer, but there's, there gets a point where it's, there's not a lot of time to process, you know, hmm. in each chapter about what's happening. So you really have to do it yourself. Like when you're rereading it is just kind of sit back and try to process this lets you process it with the characters who are also processing it. So I think that's a very interesting uh, method, hmm. very interesting take. Hmm. Yeah. The pace that the story is going, there there always seems to be enough time to to slow down and take stock of everything before they she mo- kind of moves on to the next arc of the story. I think, you know, it keeps us it keeps us going without wearing us out. But uh, how many for you? How many volumes is too many? Where you're like, no, I don't want to. I don't even want to begin this series. There's too many. <laughs> how many is too many for you? <sighs> hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, there there was a point when I started reading One Piece. Um, now that that was you know the better part of a decade ago, but there were already a lot of volumes then. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, if it was, if I had enjoyed it, uh, I would have probably kept reading to the end. But, and I, I did get quite a few of them. Well, how many did I read? 10 or 15 maybe. And then I just kind of got tired of it. Well, that's a, that's a big, you know, that's a big number there because like I read up into 14 before I gave up on it. And I had so many people say, ah. What you didn't read fifteen? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like that's where Chopper comes in. You got to read fifteen. And now my wife is saying, "No, no, no! Don't worry about all that stuff at the beginning. You have to read from fifty on." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if we were talking about American comics, you're forced to do that anyway. You're not going to start. Mm-hmm. You're not going to start Spider Man unless you're on Tim's podcast. Yeah. Back at Amazing Fantasy 15, you're going to start at whatever's out that month, yeah, you know, if right. you're new our, to comics. Our Patreon podcast does uh, start at the very beginning. I don't know how far <laughs> we're going to go. I think we are going to continue into the Romita stuff, but um, I don't know that I want to keep going into the 70s and 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did, the, how did the comics manage to, to keep going with Spider-Man without retelling the origin story? every five years but the movies have to retell it every damn time <laughs> i don't you know i mean there's some assumptions we make about 
uh, this kind of media. Like, uh, I still assume everybody's seen Star Wars. But you know what? I meet people who haven't seen any of the Star Wars movies all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Like younger people? or Younger people. Yeah. Younger people. Mm, I crave superheroic content. Let's see what's on. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Mm, nah, don't think so. I'm Batman. Mm, not really what I'm looking for. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Ugh, absolutely not. This is Robin the Boy Wonder. I'm Batman. Aha, now that's more like it. If you see Adam West as the one true Batman, then this is the podcast for you. Tune in every other Thursday on your favorite podcast source to hear Tim and Paul discuss the 1966 series and everything connected with it. What's the podcast called? To the Bat Poles. To the Bat Poles. To the Bat Poles. Yeah, so let, let's move on to the back matter. The, the yeah. dog, so, dog of the military. The thing about the story that kept kind of what nudging at me was that Hughes is not there, but you know, he's, he's dead. So, but I just, you know, was really feeling some kind of loss reading the story and really feeling his absence. That's yeah. That's, you know, that's when, you know, a character has been, uh, written well, to an extent is if you're if you're feeling their absence mm-hmm. it's cool i was too distracted by the cat inside al's armor <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is a light-hearted story um there's no mention of of hughes dying or anything um it starts out with a dog uh who one of the soldiers found on the street and brought in um, and he can't keep it in his dorm, so he's looking for somebody else to take it in. Um, and uh, the one guy says, I love dogs. They're supposed to be tasty when they're stir-fried. So not going to give it to him. No, that's that's my joke, too. You know, I need to write. <laughs> I need to write out of my th- Are you a dog person or a cat person? I'm like, well, depends on, you know, if we're talking yakiniku or... <laughs> anyway, barbecue or you know, um, Ed, Ed and Al are there, um, and Ed's saying you know, we can't keep a pet. We travel so much and don't even have a real home. Um, and then it turns out that there's, I guess, not for the first time, a cat inside Al's armor, and Ed's yelling at him. You picked up another cat and you're hiding in there, aren't you, Al? But it looks so cold, trembling in the rain. Can I keep him? <laughs> I think this is, yeah, it is also like a back matter inside joke with uh, the cat in the armor. I think that happened in the back matter mm. uh, a few books ago. But yeah, that if you imagine a cat inside a moving metal, you know, piece of like a piece of armor, the cat's freaking out. <laughs> And bumping into the wall, <laughs> bumping into the armor and stuff, and they're yeah. like saying, "Don't run! Don't run!" The poor cat. And so then this guy offers the dog to Mustang, 
And Mustang is like, the best thing about dogs is they're loyal. They obey their master's commands without question. They don't complain when they're treated severely and they don't need to be paid a salary. Yes, dogs are truly man's best servants. Dogs are great. I love them. Wahahaha. <laughs> and he thinks, I can't allow this person to be the owner. And then at the bottom of the page, he says, uh, oh, yeah, but, you know, you know, Hawkeye, she's she seems tough, but she's really sweet. You know, you should check with her. Yeah, and she saw the dog back on the first page. Yeah, she's the one who told him if he doesn't find, yeah, you know, find someone to keep it, that he'll have to put it back where he got it. Um, and now, you know, he has not found anybody else, so Hawkeye says she'll take the dog in. Um, but I hope you know that I'm very strict. And they're outdoors. Is that is this outdoors? Maybe it, it's hard to kind of, kind of hard to tell. No, I don't. I think it's inside. I think it's in a storage area or something because there's boxes against yeah. the wall. And uh, she's giving the dog some uh, maybe milk. And then the dog pees on the wall, and Hawkeye shoots at the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And well, the, like, the dog's leaning against the wall with his arms up uh, and uh, his eyes open wide. Yeah, and there's it's what's great is like you the dog pees on the wall and everybody's like, "Oh, he's doing, you know, he's doing his little business." And you turn the page and then Hawkeye's firing. Da, 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 you know? <laughs> bam bam then, bam 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 bam. And then you look down and the the, the dog is <laughs> has his paws up. Bad dog, your potty's here, got it? Okay, good boy. And the dog is trembling and sweating. And nodding. And everybody says, let's get back to work. <laughs> when the commotion finally died down, each member of the East City HQ vowed to never oppose the lieutenant. So it ends up being sort of a, kind of the, the point is uh, kind of a character piece of Hawkeye. Maybe some of the other characters too, but... I felt like the story told us the most about Hawkeye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, well, we learned that the one guy has a kind of a a dark sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> and then, now, I'm a little puzzled by the next page, where it's an extra page, and um, Hawkeye is saying, I named the dog Black Hayate. What does Hayate mean? It's just a... I think it's just kind of an old-fashioned name... Uh, boy's name Mm. so it's yeah i i felt the same way you did i don't have the uh cultural knowledge uh it's just it's a name that i see pop up uh, once in a while there's a famous uh a popular comic series hayate the butler Mm. and uh some ships are maybe named the hayate uh so yeah it's just kind of a very Japanese, kind of a macho name, I believe. Okay, and Mustang says, you sure have bad taste when it comes to naming pets, huh? Yeah, but what's crazy is, like, Hayate is obviously a Japanese name, and we don't have any obviously Japanese characters, Hmm. you know? Well, Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like in the back matter, the characters sort of become Japanese, even though in the main story they are not the least bit Japanese. That's a very interesting point. It's because they're put in like uh, ridiculous, like out of story situations that are directly relatable to uh, Japanese readers, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for the humor of it. Because we're not supposed to take any of this back matter as actual parts of the story. So then we have some of the four-panel comics, and the first three are all kind of, well, a couple. the first two are pet-themed, uh, Cat and Cat Episode 2, um, where uh, Slicer has a cat in his armor. Uh, and the other interesting thing here is that these first three, I don't think we've seen this before in the earlier volumes, where it's well, maybe we have scenes from the re- the main story, but change so that they have comedy endings. Right, right. So Slicer's got the cat in his armor, and then uh, Al is fighting Barry the Butcher, and Al has a cat in his armor. Uh, and but Barry he the Butcher, fighting. who we know is really cruel, is saying, <laughs> "You're keeping an, a cat in your armor while you're fighting. You're a." You're a devil. Yeah. So. Uh, And then uh, Slicer. So remember there were two brothers, one in the helmet and one in the armor, and they get in a fight uh, about, okay, this is still about the cat. Brother, did you put a cat inside our armor? Why, Why did you put a cat inside our armor? Because I felt sorry for it. So, but the other brother is a dog lover, and so they get in a fight about it, but the armor brother has a has an advantage and he's just kicking the helmet sitting sitting on the floor <laughs> yeah unfair advantage unfair advantage the, but what you're talking about about how this back matter is offering us kind of a parody of mm-hmm. the main story mm-hmm. uh, this kind of self parody i think is uh allows a creator to kind of, uh, you know, make fun of themselves to kind of maybe attack some of the discrepancies or weaknesses in the story, or uh, just bring focus onto some nice character moments that uh, didn't actually happen, but, you know, for the humor. Like, I'm pretty sure the fourth uh, panel thing, the fourth strip here is not actually going to happen <laughs> no yeah the, the whole point of this is just that uh well al looks like he's matured and it's because he's got hair growing on his armor leg <laughs> armor goes through puberty and says <laughs> yeah so yeah, i don't think that's gonna that would be super uncomfortable for many reasons uh, then yeah next page uh, the next one is called The Ambitious Alchemist Part 2. And this is picking up from an earlier back matter story uh, where um, Mustang promised to uh, establish miniskirts as the official uniform for female soldiers once he becomes president. Um, and so the other soldiers are all looking forward to that and wanting their colonel to be president. But he says, what are you talking about? I don't need any men in my military. I'm going to fire all the men and create my own personal harem. And in the last panel, he's we just see his head and the top of his head and his arm as he's lying in a pool of blood um, and with, writing with the word. bullet casings on yeah. the, floor, oh, on the yeah. ground. Bullet casings and we're trying to write the word miniskirt in blood. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hill. That's the hill he wants to die on. <laughs> So now they're, what, in the next one, they're trying to get him to grow a beard. 
Well, he's trying to he he looking in a mirror and wanting to to look older and more dignified. And <laughs> someone says a mustache might make you look older. And uh, he says that's it, a mustache. And Hawkeye has a grease pen. It actually says grease pen on it. And but what she draws on his face is like cat whiskers. Yeah, this is because just as like whiskers can mean beard whiskers, uh, the Japanese word for whiskers is the same as for beard, hige. Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same. So like they call, basically they're calling cat whiskers beards, beard hairs. It's you know it's it's the exact same word. Well, they've translated it here as a mustache, not a beard, but. Because I guess that fits better with the cat whiskers, as far as the location on the face. Yeah, that's because the word whiskers is so out of date. (laughs) (laughs) It's so out of date. Nobody says, draw me some whiskers on there. You know, nobody says that. So, yeah, that's the joke that's hard to to do. Yeah, maybe the, the translation is a little puzzling or difficult to do well. And what's what's the last one? So Al is uh, what he's talking about how he can make himself more popular. I've tried dieting and changing my hairstyle, hairstyle, uh, and I'm still <laughs> not very popular. What else can I do? Um, well, the title of the story is maybe the loincloth is the problem. I think that was the title of another one in another back matter. Uh, something about the loincloth, the yeah. fundoshi, the fundoshi. Mm-hmm. So. Can you believe that there's enough variation in loincloths that they actually have different ways <laughs> of calling them, like fundoshi and sarashi? So when I was in a Japanese festival kind of club where we would go to different smaller towns that didn't have enough young people to carry the big old heavy uh, you know, portable shrines mm-hmm. to go through the tra- town and bring fortune or whatever... Uh, the team that I was involved with, we would go into a different town every week and we'd have to wear, our uniform was the sarashi, which is kind of like fundoshi. Hmm. Uh, you have to twist, twist, twist that and then like really pull it up your butt, up your butt crack and wrap it around and then uh, then the, the loose cloth kind of folds over the front. Uh, but it's a little bit different than the fundoshi, which... Hmm. Uh, uh, is not just a long piece of cloth. It actually is like sewed so that there's the front part kind of hangs down uh, like a curtain. Mm-hmm. This is not a curtain that you open, just to let you know. <laughs> no. no. So Ed is suggesting, uh, what if you added a unique sound to the end of all your sentences? That works for other manga characters. And yeah, that's that's a real trope of Japanese comics. Yeah. Um, especially for animal characters. Yeah. So his name is Al Aru, right? And so he's putting Aru on the end of all these sentences. But this is kind of a callback to uh, Cyborg 009 that has a Chinese character. Hmm. And this is how he talks. He's saying the word de Aru, like Aru. As mm. is or des, you know, but he's saying it like they're making it clear that his Japanese is not a hundred percent perfect, that he's not a native, and so it's kind of I think it's kind of a callback to that. But because his name is Al, they're they're using it. Yeah, so it may, maybe doesn't 
this one also doesn't quite get across in English, that he's just putting his own name at the end of every sentence. Um, and he says, how's that big brother, Al? And Ed says, weird. <laughs> it is weird. It is weird. <laughs> um, and the special thanks column with uh, Armstrong squeezing the cow who represents Atakawa, and there's blood shooting out of her nose. <laughs> Then we have, now this might have been what's some of the stuff from under the the cover of the Japanese paperback, this panel that says Super Fusion, and it has Barry and Slicer, like elements of both kind of merged into one character. Yeah. Uh, and then the in memoriam thing from the spine of the Japanese version showing Slicer and Hughes, and Hughes saying, want to see some photos of my daughter? Look, look. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Slicer's sighing. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Slicer deserves. That's Slicer's hell. He <laughs> deserves that. Endlessly being shown. Yeah, and, and she gets a laugh out of us because on related to someone's death. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then, does it have this... this uh, yes. Where it looks like uh, Ed is riding Al, Al as if he was a giant robot. Yeah. Uh, a la Mazinger, Transor Z kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and, he, and he's saying, roll out. And yeah, the sound effect is kachak for pulling a lever. Every time I get to the end of one of these, it always blows me away that this is the 45th printing. <laughs> you know? Always blows me away, and you know, and I'm sure that's not even the la the the latest printing, you know. Yeah. So I'm I'm reading the three in one for volumes four, five, and six, um, which it says in the front is the fifth printing from September 2013. But yeah, I don't know how many printings I mean, there were is, of the individual this is volumes. Forty fifth printing from 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, okay. And this, I'm pretty sure it's still in print, you know, this guy. Yeah, I haven't looked because I've had, I've owned the whole thing for a long time. But And then I'm not sure, see, since I'm reading this, this three in one, I'm not sure which volume this is a part of, where it says product name, Fullmetal Alchemist, ingredients, alchemy, non-genetically modified. I don't see that in, in this one. Okay, yeah, that might be the the front of the next one. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. So yeah, that might be the next. Oh, wait, wait, I have the next one here. Let me take a quick look, see, and no. Yeah, and there's a picture of the cow with a UFO flying overhead and oh uh, yeah, that's beam her that's, up. That's the on the the in inside cover of the next. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, you get it in color. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just black and white here. Hmm. Okay. All right. So that's uh, chapter sixteen and volume four. That's right. So we have a while to go. We're just getting the engine started. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to welcome any new listeners and uh, thank you for uh, sticking with us. Please uh, like and share and please write reviews. It helps uh, make us more visible. Um, so, uh, yeah, please help us out.
and uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. Um, oh, and you know, the, the law of equivalent exchange means... You get what you pay for. Oh, I see. Okay. So, <laughs> see you next time. Does that mean that because they're getting this for free, that this is <laughs> our show is crap? Is that what that means? I don't Please know don't what we're getting that. in exchange. <laughs> Mass adoration of, <laughs> of dozens of, not even dozens of people. Uh, that's no, what we're approaching getting. dozens. Approaching dozens. <laughs> dozens and dozens served. Awesome. Awesome. Tim, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you next time. Okay, see you. Our theme is Cryosyncope by Winterfiend. You can follow us on Twitter at LOEE Podcast or email us at LOEE Podcast at DeconstructingComics.com. Support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash deconcomics. See you in two weeks. The Law of Equivalent Exchange is a production of DeconstructingComics.com. But Armstrong is curiously not uh, very responsive. Mm. Um, Mustang is saying... um, Sorry. Uh, Hughes is saying... No, not Hughes. Um, Sorry. Name. Name. Armstrong. Yeah, Armstrong.